Hudson. Hudson Hall. Yeah, what are we doing? We are going to talk about you tonight. Ooh, I don't like talking about myself. Whatever, dude. <laughs> we'll talk about trucks. How about that? I can do that. I can do that all day. Let's do that then. Yeah, it's nighttime, let's though. Do let's do that all night. Yeah. Okay. Dude, how did you get into racing and working on Baja trucks? Well, so I grew up down in South Texas, like on the coast. And my entire childhood, I know this is a bit off topic, but it'll get there. Uh, my entire childhood, I wanted, I was like interested in marine biology. That's what I wanted to do. Mm. Like I grew up on the water, on the bay, on the Gulf, like all the time. And uh, somewhere like middle of high school, I went to go do my open water scuba certification to kind of like have that done before I went to college to kind of pursue that. And uh, I couldn't do it. I can't equalize the pressure in my ears. And come to find out through multiple doctor's visits later, it's because my eustachian tubes are like the size of like a three-year-old's like they never developed i guess like as i grew older they never got bigger so i can't equalize the pressure in my head when i go underwater so that kind of threw a big wrench in the plans and honestly after that i had no idea what i was going to do like after high school i knew i didn't want to like just go do something generic i was like i want to do something you know interesting and growing up i was always kind of a hands-on kid like my grandpa was real hands-on with everything. Like my grandparents had a you know operational farm for a long time. My grandpa like fixed everything on the farm. My dad was always a super hands-on guy. Like, you know, fixed his own truck, doing his own oil changes, like that kind of stuff. So he was always tinkering with stuff. So I just kind of grew up tinkering with stuff, and it was always, it was never a focus. It was just something I did because I enjoyed doing it. But shortly after that, kind of whole thing went down. It was like, okay, maybe there's a, it's a bit of a fork in the road here. I've got to figure out what else I'm going to do and. Around the same time, I guess, is when I kind of discovered, like, off-road racing through, like, videos on YouTube and stuff like that. I'm like, oh, well, this is really cool. I like trucks. I really like driving in the dirt. Yeah. But at the time, like, I didn't know it was a, I didn't know it was a full-time job for somebody. Right. And, like, through watching these videos and, like, you know, you watch videos and then you're, like, you're Googling all this sort of stuff. And it's like, oh, man, people do this full-time. Like, people do this all the time. It's not like... This isn't a new thing. People have been doing it since the 60s. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just not something that's done where I grew up. So anyway, through the you know last two years of high school, did a bunch of research, and I was like, okay, well, obviously these guys are racing these vehicles full time. Like somebody has to be maintaining these vehicles full time. And I'm like, okay, well, like what about doing that for a job? You know, because you still get to go racing, but you don't have to be like. To, it's no secret to go off road racing like. You know, everybody always says, if you want to make a million dollars off-road racing, start with $2 million. And it's mm-hmm. like, okay, I don't have $2 million to go off-road racing, but I can still go racing if I make it my job. So anyway, through a, some, you know, a series of contacts, just kind of friends that I had met, either you know, through online contacts or phone contacts or friends of friends, uh, I got in contact with a guy who was a few years older than me, but that's what he did for a living. And uh, at the time, he was in Arizona. And uh, so I got a hold of him, and I'm like, hey, like, I'm interested in doing the same thing you do. He's like, okay, well, you know, what's kind of your background? What are your skills? And so I kind of told him, and he's like, you know, it'd be a good idea if you knew, like, it'd be a good idea to get your get your feet wet in, like, some fabrication stuff. You know, maybe some welding stuff, some, you know, just some basic gen- general fabrication stuff. So I actually found, like, a trade school that I could go to for four months and would kind of, 
like helped me get my foot in the door. Was it called the Fab School? Was that it? It was. Yeah. It was the Fab School because yep. I actually looked into the same thing yep. when I was in high school. Yeah. It's all and it and it now compared to when I went to it is a completely different like program story whole thing. Like when, when I, I went to it, it, it was very. It was like it hadn't been around for very long and it was super basic. But now those guys like offer everything from like composite fabrication like composite manufacturing to like cnc machine operation like and when i went it was like weld steel weld aluminum like hand formed sheet metal that kind of thing like bin tubing like just race car stuff it was super basic and it was all race car focused because the guy who owned it was a race car guy from you know for a long time so anyway they had like a four-month program and it was like three days a week and uh so i you know i convinced mom and dad to let me go which took some convincing um but i convinced him to let me go i found some money to pay for it and then um i did it and in the meantime so it was like three days a week of school the other two days i found a part-time job at like a local off-road shop just to so i could meet some people mm-hmm. right so i could meet some people make some friends in the industry and then hopefully take afterwards- notes kids when kids are like how do you get in the building <laughs> bikes how do you get in the racing baja 1000 this is how you do it yeah and i exactly i, mean, I worked two days a week i made minimum wage which i think at the time was like 725 yeah mm-hmm. and um that some, pay, was, some places would even pay you less they're like under the table it's like we're not i've i worked at a shop where they paid me less than minimum wage yeah that's because def- it's like yeah or what kid go kick rocks like we've already told you we don't need you yeah because so, there's always some other you know 15 16 year old kid that'll yeah. take the job if for you want to clean toilets for five dollars an hour then yeah. come on yeah. and then you just say yes i was lucky enough that i found a you know somewhat reputable shop that like kind of did everything by the book and they were like, yeah, it's fine. Like we need extra help in here. And I didn't do a whole lot of, it was a pretty, it was like a Toyota off-road shop. And I started out like sweeping the floors and like packing and shipping things like assembling, mm-hmm. like <clears throat> assembling parts, assemblies, ship and then packing and shipping them. And eventually kind of worked my way into like doing some finish welding on parts. These are super basic finish welding. Anyway, after that four months was up, I kind of, I'd made some friends. I had been in contact with people just from being there. And um, after that four months was up, I had an interview with a guy who was uh, racing, was a Lucas Oil short course at the time, which doesn't exist anymore. Um, But it was like, it was a full season of short course off-road racing, like Pro 2, Pro 4, Pro Light. Like it was a whole series of, series of racing. And uh, he was racing a Pro 2. It was a privateer team at the time, you know, no big sponsors or anything like that. And uh, I drove out to his shop. It was like, I don't know, two or three hours away from where I lived. Drove out to his shop, met with his crew chief, met him, kind of met some of his guys, and you know, hung out with him for the day. And then by the end of the day, he offered me a job. And um, it wasn't much. It was minimum wage again. But the kick was he had, uh, he had a few acres up in the hills outside uh, Simi Valley in California. And um, he's like, you know, you can live here at the shop for free if you work here I'm like well perfect i can do that because trying to find a place to live is pretty difficult so it wasn't anything fancy it was a trailer like behind the shade a real nice big shop and you know a bunch of rv hookups and uh i was there for about a year in the meantime made a bunch of friends you know started doing some trips uh, do you think that your fab school was necessary to get that job or do you You think that you could have just hung out made enough connections and gotten the job i 
people ask me that question a lot, and it would have been a different story had I not grown up here in Texas where nobody knows who I am. Because all the other guys that are you know from out west who do what I do, they grew up in the industry and they grew up they knew they've known people since they were you know 12 years old they've been hanging out in shops and uh but me like nobody knew who i was or my name or anything so I, did they need it as like validation basically i i think it helped get my foot in the door you know it helped my toes held the door open for a this little kid's bit serious he's enough he's serious enough to move out of state spend this yeah. money take this risk exactly and and also it's like he is going to school so we can be assured that he can weld yeah you know yeah. But, they, they, but they didn't necessarily ask to see, like, let me see your certification no, or your there was no, I mean, there degree was no, or whatever. There, there wasn't even a weld test or anything. Right. They weren't really concerned with that. It was more concerned with, like, is this guy just willing to work? Yeah. You know? And uh, so I got that job, and I started out sweeping the floors, cleaning the equipment, cleaning the race cars when they came back covered in mud. And uh, we had a big, like, 53-foot semi that went to all the races with us. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I, you know. I helped, you know, clean that thing, make sure it was fully stocked with spares and, you know, parts and all that sort of stuff. And and uh, eventually, I guess the guy that was the crew chief, who's, who's a friend of mine still, um, he kind of recognized that I wasn't an idiot, I guess, or I could, you know, I could, you could put two wrenches in my hand and I could put take things apart and put them back together. And um, so slowly but surely, he would give me, you know, different tasks to do, like, hey, pull this apart, clean it up and get it ready to go back together. And by the time I left there, you know, I had, I learned a whole lot in a very, very short amount of time. And uh, pretty much all of that was, you know, from Evan, the guy who was a crew chief. And uh, yeah, I, lo- I owe a lot to him because he taught me a whole lot in a very short amount of time from, you know, and I didn't, I didn't know anything race car specific coming into it. And by the time I left, like I, I knew a lot. How old were you when you started that job? Mm. 20 20 and then 20. you and then you left there how old were you um when i left i had just turned 21 okay yeah. so you had about a year yeah it was about a year right on. i think it was like 11 months or something like so that. did you leave because of another opportunity no i left because of like <clears throat> it's a tough in motorsports it's really tough like budgets are always super fluid right and um we're racing up now we're not racing yeah it was kind of one of those deals and the guy was still you know much of the bill was coming out of his pocket and I think having a guy full time there was a lot. Yeah. Or I don't know, or maybe I just wasn't the right guy to work there. I don't know. I never they were never upset with me or anything like that. They were just like, Hey, like we we you know, don't want to pay you anymore. And so he paid me Well, you're the first to go. If yeah, you're the guy I, I you was know, the, I was the newest guy and I was yeah, the first to go you're, and you're I always the first on the to totem go. pole. And yeah. uh it was like there was no hard feelings or anything like that and I think he he paid me like two weeks pay and was like, Hey, like I'm going to pay you for two weeks. You can hang out here as long as you need to. You can find another job, search for something. And, uh, it was great. And you know, it's, when that happened, I made some phone calls cause throughout that year, you know, you, you, you meet people. I, you know, and I made it a point to anytime somebody would call me, Hey, do you want to go to this race? Hey, do you want to go to this Showing test, up. Se- test session or Hey, yes, this pre run yeah. or anything? You know, I didn't, I, I wasn't getting paid for any of it, but, I was getting the experience and I was learning the connections. And so it was always like, yeah, I'll be there. Where do I need to be? What time do I need to be there? Like, do I need to pack a bag? Like that sort of stuff. It's all about, you just got to be on people's mind. Like you could be the baddest mofo at what you do, but if no one, if you don't come to mind to anybody, nobody really knows you, 
Like, you're never going to get called for anything. Yeah. But if you're the guy that's showing up, that's there, that's showing your face, you're going to, like, and repeatedly, yeah. like, then and you're going to be thought of. And it's like, oh, yeah, that guy Hudson. You absolutely. know, maybe I'll give him yeah. a call. And a lot of it is, like, don't be lazy. If you're the guy that's not lazy, like, yeah, anytime and you, you show, show up, up and you're doing something. And you're, not the la- and, you're, and you're not, like, you're like, hey, what do you need me to do? And you're, like, hands in, you know, elbows deep in grease, like, Bring that guy back because he gets in here and, like, helps out and gets work done. Yeah. He doesn't necessarily know everything, but, like, you can give him a task and he'll do it kind of thing. And you have good social skills now, but did you then, or is it something you developed? Uh, I think it was something I developed. You say I have good social skills now. I don't think I do. Um, it was oh, something, I like, I didn't have a choice. You know, Because right. when I moved 1,500 miles from home, I didn't know anyone. I knew no one. Right. And it was like, if I'm going to make this work, I've got to figure out how to make friends. Yes. Because all these people know all these other people, know all these other people, and there's you never know who's going to have an opportunity. And, and it was everything like, okay, is, just suck it up and make some friends. Yeah. But exactly. like, I'm, I'm, I'm grateful that I did it. But, yeah, I, I didn't – my social skills were not – they were not very good when I left. But, I mean, within the first year, it was like, okay, you, you're going to have to have some good social skills to make this work. Because all of it – I mean, it's all about networking. It's all about networking. It's all yeah. about connections. Yeah. Like, everything. Yeah. And that's what's crazy. I'm starting to realize – it's fine. Here I am, just turning 30. I'm starting <laughs> to realize that. I'm starting yeah. to realize, like, even corporate situations are just the fact that you know the right person that can – that brings you in or that calls you or something yeah, like and that. Yeah, and it's, it's – Especially within the motorsports world. I mean, I'm sure it's like that with everything else, too. But – I feel like it's it's just all about who you know, and if you come to mind, yeah. then it's like, oh, you're you've been around, you've shown face, you've proven yourself, and then oh yeah, you're in, you're fine. Yeah. And I think a lot of it is like people being able to like trust you, right? And I'm not necessarily like trust you with something big, but like just trust you to like show up and be on time and like get a job done. Mm-hmm. And if you can demonstrate that, like people are more likely to call you back because it's like, okay, well, I can trust it. If I call him and I need him to show up in the middle of the desert to help me do something or to right. f- come to my shop tomorrow morning and help me get a car on the trailer so we can go racing, like, I know this guy will show up. And he's not on – It's he's calling you because you showed up. You've already show- – yeah. he's not on LinkedIn yeah. being like, I need a exactly. technician that's that like, can no, go to the car. It's yeah. like, it's no, like, he's, that guy? he's yeah. pulling from the pool that's around him what he knows. Yeah. yeah, that's just how it's, it's – I feel like everything kind of works and, and that you know, way. And a lot of that is it may not be somebody you know directly because right. Right? that happens a lot. I, I get phone calls from people. It's like, hey, so-and-so gave me your number because they said, like, you might be able to help me with this. And it's like, well, yeah, what do you, what do you got? Like, yeah, sure, I can help you out. Or, you know, oh, hey, hey, I don't know the guy – or I can't do it, but I know a guy. You know what I mean? That mm-hmm. kind of thing. It's like, not me, but I know a guy. Let me give you his number. Yeah. And I think, like, it, you know, it goes down the line. Yeah. Hundred percent. So, like, uh, the second gig that you picked up. The second gig that. was like a part-time job. I had made some friends with uh, who are still really good friends. Uh, a couple that own a production shop that builds parts. And uh, what kind of parts? Like Toyota off-road parts. Okay. I've been a Toyota guy for a long time. My, you know, my dad's been a Toyota guy a long time, so it's always like kind of Toyota focused. Um, but anyway, they made parts, and I had met the owner down in Mexico on a trip uh, with some other friends. And uh, she was like, hey, you know, you know, call me when you get back to the States. Let me know if you ever need a, a job to do. And uh, so I called her like that day. She's like, yeah, come down to the shop and uh, you can like, I've got work for you to do. We're super busy. 
and you can work as you know as long as you need a job like you can work here until you find whatever you want to do so i you know that was like the next day i was there at that shop working and um i think like maybe three months later some uh, another team who was racing short course who i had met at the time um the crew chief for that team called me he was like hey i'm in a tough spot basically the guy that owned the team like just he fired everybody but the crew chief all at once, like two days before a race. Two two days before a race. Yeah, two days before a big Why race. Why would he do that? I, I, Why not after the big he, race? I, he was super fed up with everybody. He's just I think like, I'm was, done. Everything was just like compounding, and his crew chief called me. He's like, hey, and I was still living in Southern California at the time, and he called me. He's like, hey, can you drive to Vegas tomorrow morning? And this is like a Tuesday. And I'm like, uh, what do you need? It's like, I need you to help me put the race car, put a new engine in the race car, put it all back together. Load it on a trailer and then drive it to uh, where are we going? Salt Lake City. Yeah, right outside Salt Lake City from Vegas. And he's, I'm like, what time do you meet in Vegas? He's like, I don't know. Can you be here by nine? I'm like, sure. So I leave Southern California like, I don't know, five in the morning, drive to Vegas, put a new engine in the car, spent all day, loaded the race car on a semi like that night. The semi drove, drove it to Salt Lake City that night. We got in. Did you hop in with him? No, we, we, we actually went home, like took a shower, packed some clothes, because we were going to be gone for a week. Mm-hmm. And uh, jumped in like a regular pickup truck and just caught up with the semi on the way to Salt Lake City. And, and uh, we went and did that race. And then the guy who owned the team, like by the end of the week, by the end of that race week, like offered me a full time job. I'm like, well, sure. Like, I want to go racing. So, yeah. Right. And, it, and it wasn't, it was a slight pay increase but not by much mm-hmm. um and that's fun. the thing it's a passion kind of gig like all the people that are doing it it's like well i'd rather be doing this than working at a parts store or yeah something else so now these aren't necessarily high paying jobs but it's you're at no, it's a passion and you're at cool places all the time you're at cool events there's all these like side benefits to it i guess yeah there is and it's if if you're someone who like enjoys traveling and like seeing new places I guess it's like being a roadie, you know. It's kind of similar. It is, you know. Maybe, maybe a bit more, uh, maybe a bit more civilized. I guess like race car guys are pretty civilized for the most part, like pretty well. Put Everything's together. about winning. Yeah. Whereas yeah. you can't just be doing a bunch of drugs like before it's, or after yeah, it's, work. It's not reckless. It's like yeah. you need to be, you know, on up your game, and, up and in the shop at seven a.m. Like getting stuff done. Like mm-hmm. we're here to win races, kind of thing. So like you got to take it seriously. Um, and I did that, and the guy offered me a full-time job, and I did that for about six months. And into that six months, same thing. Like he lost a lost a bunch of funding for the race team, and uh, he told me he's like, "Hey, like, I still need guys to work, so I can you can still work here, but I can't pay you as much, or like you're more than welcome to go do uh, whatever you want. Like, no hard feelings. Like I understand." So I made some phone calls. You know, that night, and I think, like, maybe a week later, uh, a buddy called me. Called me. He's like, hey, these guys are, are, are looking for help. You know, they're desert racing this time instead of short course racing. And my focus and my interest had always been in desert racing, but short course racing was, you know, that, it was a job and it was a paying job. What is short course racing? Uh, think of it as, like, think of it as, like, supercross, but in a four-wheeled vehicle. Right, so like it's a short small, little, it's small short little course. Track, big jumps. Like can you can you thing. visually see the whole track at yes. once? Okay, yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, you can sit. 
Like short course tracks have grandstands. Like so a lot of laps, and you're racing for positions. And yeah, it's like they're like 16 minute races. Oh, they were at the time. They were like 16 minute races or something like oh, that. Oh, so pretty short. Okay. Yeah. Whereas the desert racing is like endurance. Oh, you it's, might see the car for 10 seconds and never see it again all day. Kind right. Because mm-hmm. you know, it goes into the night. Sometimes. Races are either point to point or big long. You know, big loop races. You might see the car, you know, three or four times. Right. Um, you How know, many laps they're doing? Yeah, kind of like the, you just did the mint, mm-hmm. right? You just yeah, did the mint a couple thing. months ago. Same thing. Yeah. That's a lap race. So. You know, you see the car at designated spots a certain number of times, or if it's a point-to-point race, you know. It's you, usually you the pits, the like the pits are what's close to the grandstands and the access point, and yeah, so and you know, and you only and see shit going down at the pits. And it the seems mint, like the mint that you just did, like that's one of the only races that has grandstands at all. Right. Right. I mean, that's, who wants to sit and watch a something drive by like every? few minutes you know yeah or every hour yeah, right yeah you know what i mean too, like yeah. the one race car comes by every hour hour yeah. and a half or something it's not like much that. of a so yeah I, I those guys called me asked me to come do a pre-run with them as kind of like an interview and i did and you know they offered me the job like right away and again it was like slight pay increase and uh like a bunch more responsibilities and uh and an opportunity to go like desert racing like in the u.s and in mexico um so I was like, yeah, you know, and so that gave me the opportunity to move from Vegas back to Southern California. I did that. And then, uh, I did that for about a year and maybe 10 months into it. Same guy, same friend who got me that job called me. and was like, Hey, this guy needs some help just at races only. So part-time help at some races. And, um, the team was, uh, was Reese Millen racing and they were racing rallycross at the time, which is. It's kind of like short course racing, but in a rally car instead of a big truck. Mm-hmm. And um, so I went and helped them for a few races. I think the first they asked me to help them out with uh, helping run some customer cars at a race in Long Beach. It was down the port of Long Beach. And then the next race was actually on the island of Barbados, which is in the Caribbean. Went and did that race with them. And then... How did they get... So they just had to put bring everything on the ship? Basically, like... You, for that race, I wasn't involved with the packing, but I, I'm, I know how it went. It was basically you have a certain number of containers that you're allowed. Everything goes in the Florida. Basically, if you if you want something, if you want it to go, if it needs to go to this race with you, like your race car and equipment, you park it in a container. The <coughs> container gets taken to the port, loaded up on a ship, and shipped. Okay. You know? And uh, I don't know where. I'm assuming those got put on a truck in California, shipped probably to Flor- either Florida or like the Gulf somewhere. And God, then that's so expensive. Put on a boat from there to to Barbados, yeah. Because Barbados is like for the, one race, the outermost island in the Caribbean, right? Like mm-hmm. one side of Barbados is the Atlantic Ocean, like it's the farthest one away. How um, cool is that, though? It was a lot of fun. It was really cool, and it was really cool that there was a racetrack on this. And the island is tiny. You're just, you're the track is probably just a loop around the perimeter and some zigzags in the middle kind of thing. Or no, it was actually like a, it was a whole like proper racetrack. It was pretty cool. Really? Yeah. Uh, Barbados has, like, a history of racing. Like, there's a big – there's a famous rally that they do there. And uh, so, anyway, it was it was a legitimate racetrack, grandstands, like, you know, paddocks, the whole thing. Um, after that race, actually, the island is tiny. It was so small that after the race was over, a buddy and I stayed for a few extra days. We rented a car, and you can drive the entire perimeter of the island of Barbados in, like, two and a half hours. Oh, wow. Like, that's how small the island yeah. is. And that's, like – that's on tiny little island roads, and, like, we were You're driving. You're going slow. Yeah, we were driving a Suzuki Jimny, which is, like, a Suzuki Samurai. Like, mm-hmm. we weren't driving fast. Mm-hmm. 
And uh, so it was a tiny, but that was a lot of fun. And came back the third race that they asked me to help with was Las Vegas that year for like the season finale. And then after, after that race, they, uh, they called me, that was the end of the year. They called me in like January and uh, like, Hey, we need to build some, we got a contract to build some cars for like a major motion picture, like a, ma- a major movie. Like, Hey, can you come to the shop and help? And I'm like, well, I, I have a full-time job. Like, I can come help you like maybe a few days a week. So uh, it was like, I think the deal was like six weeks. It was like three days a week for six weeks. Like come help us, you know, build these cars for this movie. Cause there's a, you know, hard deadline. So I did. And I think it was, I finished my six weeks, you know, I learned a whole lot, you know, made friends with all the guys in the shop and uh, finished that six weeks. And after that six weeks was over, like that first week that I didn't show up, the the team manager called me he was like hey what movie was that for by the way do you know it was actually a fast and furious movie was i it? don't remember which one but it was a fast and furious movie yeah we built cars and trucks and we built like three or four no th- we built three identical subarus subarus for that movie oh okay i, I don't remember which one it was so were you work when when they hired you for that were you working on like just the cars that they were building that were going to do what you're just, used to doing like the desert stuff or were they having you work on all kinds of shit, so like the guys street cars work, and everything else? The guys I was working for full-time at the time was, like, Class 1 buggies, which are, like, unlimited V8 big desert cars, mm-hmm. right? Big buggies. Um, and that was basically all I did. They had two of them, and I took care of those two, helped take care of those two, and then they had two pre-run cars, which were, like, four-seat buggies that they used for, like, pre-running races. So they had you working on just, like, a desert capable... Yeah, it was just... it was just, And I was in the shop by myself... <laughs> What uh, was it? Was there a Fast and Furious where they're like, it was they were like running through the border, like through Mexico or something? It's probably where they would have used one, it, huh? There's one. Whatever, uh, one there's one's. one where they go through the desert, but I I don't think that was the same one because I didn't. The cars that I helped build for that movie were, it was like it was three Subaru WRXs. Like there was yeah. nothing off road about it. I would like um, one of those, by the way. Do what? I'd like a WRX. I think they're cool. But they're notorious. They're notorious for exploding. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I know. Everybody I know has owned one like blows a motor real quick. That's so. all boxer. Yeah, yeah, I ha- I had that Subaru Baja for a while. It Dude, was dad, it was one problem after another. My dad had a Subaru Brat in like the 80s, oh, which yeah. was the which the was the Subaru truck yeah. before the Subaru Baja. Yeah. Like it had mm-hmm. the little plastic jump seats in the back. Yeah. Yeah, that was a pretty cool car. Yeah, those those were cool. Yeah, I saw one the other day actually. A buddy of mine just bought one, has it on his ranch. I walked up and I'm like, "Wait a minute." My dad had one of these. It was anyway, cool cars. Yeah, so we did that. We built the movie cars, and then as soon as the movie car job was done, uh, they called me like the next week and were like, "Hey, can you come and work full time?" And I'm like, "Well, I guess." So you kind of back and forth negotiations. Like again, a little bit of a you know climbing the ladder step by step. Like mm-hmm. a little bit of a pay increase, a little bit of a responsibility increase. Like. Um, and the numbers made sense, so I, I took the job, and it was a lot of fun. We did a lot of cool stuff when I worked at when I was working at the shop at, at Reese Millen Racing, and uh, I still work for those guys part time now. Um, mm. I still do contract work for them regularly. Oh, cool. Yeah, and all the guys there are good friends, and uh, Reese is I consider Reese still a good friend, and uh, yeah, those guys built a lot of cool stuff in a s- relatively small shop with very few personnel. Um, but those guys kick ass and I learned a whole lot working there 
and uh, I, you know, I owe a lot to to the team manager, Jr. There, he's still there, and uh, you know, he taught me so much. And again, in a very short amount of time. Mm-hmm. So, well, everything's fast paced too. Yeah, yeah, everything's super fast paced. So it was like, you know, you got to learn it and you got to learn it quick to get the job done. So your situation now, you're here in New Braunfels, Texas. Yep. Uh, and then tell me about the partnership you have going with uh, Comal Truck. Are you yeah. part owner of that? No, 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 no. I, it was a, it was one of those deals. I, I, I moved to California. I grew up in a small town, South Texas. Like, so living in California was never like my thing. Mm-hmm. It was more like, this is where the job is that I want to do. So I have to, this is where I have to live. But the opportunity <laughs> came about, you know, after six, seven years of doing that full time. And, you know, I worked for a few different other teams before I moved home. Um, but after, you know, seven years, I, I just wasn't, the environment wasn't, um, where I wanted to be. Like I, I enjoyed doing the job, but the environment just wasn't ideal. And, um, so I had always kind of toured around with the idea of eventually moving back home to Texas and, uh, maybe doing some sort of a shop with a buddy of mine. And, uh, so the opportunity came about, I guess, I gave him a call like you know middle of the year August or so and it's like hey I'm I'm thinking about moving back to Texas not real sure what I'm going to do I've made some deals with some people here in California to keep doing racing like to keep going racing on a contract basis to just fly in and fly out and he was like well he's like we're we're moving up to New Braunfels his his wife had just got a really good job he's like why don't we you know we for years we've talked about doing a shop why don't we do it because at the time, um, we were doing regular, like, uh, truck tours down in Mexico. Like, taking guys in Ford Raptors down into Mexico. Yeah, and which I want to talk about that. Yeah. We'll go back to we'll that. Get, we'll get back to that. So, at the, at the time, we were doing those regular trips, and, you know, we had a lot of really good customers, and, you know, people really enjoyed what we were doing. But we always had these guys, like, hey, you guys obviously have, you know, built and prepped your own trucks. Like, why you know, can you do mine? And it was like... I don't really have the, you know, I don't really have the time to do it or the facility to do it, or I don't really want to. <laughs> I don't want to be responsible for your car and mine. Yeah. And um, so it was always for years we had guys, hey, can I bring you my truck to do? I was like, oh, we don't really do that. Sorry. And so eventually we, uh, you know, I, I made that phone call and he's like, yeah, well, you know, we're moving up to New Braunfels. I don't really want to, he didn't really want to do what he was doing full time anymore. I was like, okay, well, it's like, either find a space or find a shop that we can kind of take over and uh it just so happened that the linex like spray and bedliner franchise had had gone up for sale like at the same time um so he came up here and took a look at it and sat down with the guy and, and made a deal to buy that franchise from the guy that owned it and the guy that owned it was a retired navy guy and um he didn't really do much with it the shop was real small and it didn't really have a whole lot of depth to it. They just basically did spray and bed liners and your basic, like, you know, brush guard, toolbox, headache rack kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but it was, a, you know, it was some place that we could, it was something we could start with and then build it into what we wanted to do, which was <coughs> build the kind of trucks that we have and that we use regularly for other people. Um, and so that deal kind of worked out. And in the meantime, he had worked out that deal at the end of, 2018 and that in the end of 2018 I was working on a deal um, 
to go do the Dakar Rally in South America. So he had he had purchased the shop, and I had a, like right after he had bought it, I left for like a month to go to uh, Peru, the whole month of January basically. And uh, when I came home, I moved all my stuff back home, moved my toolbox into the shop, and kind of hit the ground running. And started immediately started building trucks for, you know, we had by the time I got back, we had guys lined up for you know trucks to build for for customers, guys that we knew and guys that we had kind of let know, hey, hey, we're opening up a shop. Now's if you want something, if, if you want something done, like now's the time to let us know. Mm-hmm. So we had a a big list of stuff to get done for people. So. so y- you're kind of moving a lot of pieces around because you have that, right? You have Comal yeah. truck. It's been a lot in a short, very short amount of time. Right. Yeah. And then you're still going out at, and helping these different random teams at races. Mm-hmm. And then tell me about the truck tours that you do in Baja. Yeah. So I guess it was, it was right after I had moved to California. My buddy Trey had, um, he started a, event called the texas raptor run which is like the largest gathering of ford raptor pickup trucks outside of the plant in michigan where they're built so he had started that in like 2012 and um he had started going to mexico in 2010 i believe or 2008 so that event is probably on it's on private property in texas yeah so that was how that event started and uh, and that's that's why I mean, off-road racing and stuff is not very big in this state because everything's yeah, private it's, it's, property. You can't just go out to national. Exactly. You can't go get land a BLM permit and go racing. And just go, yeah. Yeah. So he has a lot of these races I've been going to. It's all just public land. Yeah. Like that. So public a, land. You know, you pay a fee and get a permit, and you know, I mean, there's a bunch of hurdles to jump through, but yeah, that's how you go racing because it's not privately owned land. Um, so anyway, Trey had bought a Raptor like right when they had first come out, which was 2010, I believe. And then over the course of a couple of years, he realized, well, all these guys in Texas that own one, there's uh, there's nowhere to use one. Like, you can't just drive a couple hours and be out in the desert, like, if you, you know, or be out on BLM land if you yeah. live out west. And there's a lot of Raptors out here. Oh, yeah. New Braunfels is full of them. I see one almost every day. Yeah. Wild. Anyway. I see, I see a couple every day. So, yeah, he saw that. The, so, anyway, he, the saw, he, he saw a need, like, hey, there's all these guys that own these really nice trucks that are really capable, but there's nowhere to use them. And, uh. He was involved with some with a family that owns a big exotic game ranch that's right outside Sweetwater, uh, you know, kind of north central Texas, I guess. And uh, so he had, you know, asked them about hosting an event. They were already hosting races there, so he asked them about hosting, you know, this big truck event. So he did the first one in 2012, and we've done one every year since. And I think last year may have been the biggest one. There was like almost 150 trucks that showed up Dang. so he had started this big raptor event he was also going to mexico at the time and helping people race down in baja and uh, in 2013 he said well i'm going to do a raptor event but i want to take some people down to mexico and uh he it was like february march and it was two months after i had moved to california and he called me he was like hey i'm doing this trip in mexico with raptors do you want to go i need some help i'm like well, sure like where do i need to be what time do i need to be there like do i need to pack a bag kind of thing and it was a it was a week-long trip it was during the san felipe 250s we got to spectate the race uh so we did that first one and uh you know everybody had a really good time people enjoyed it but then we didn't just with everything going on business and everything else we didn't do we skipped 
two years. We skipped 2014, 2015, didn't do one. We did another one in 2016. Trey called me again. This time I had my own truck. So I came down as to be like on-trail mechanic, you know, to kind of help get trucks down the road, you know, if something broke. And uh, it just kind of it kind of took off from there. You know, did that 2016. It was a big hurricane in 2017, so we didn't go. And then, you know, we did multiple trips. After that, we did multiple trips. Like 2018, there was two trips, two or three trips. 2019, two trips. 2020, two trips. Tell me about, like, what happens on these trips. Um, Like, if I'm a a guy that owns a Ford Raptor and I'm fiddling my thumbs in New Braunfels because there's nowhere to drive it, and I find you on Google, like, what information am I going to uncover? And like, that's all I know. The first it's like, th- I want to take it somewhere. I found this place on Google. Yeah. The first thing you'll probably come up when you Google us is the videos from all of our trips, which the videos have got a whole lot of traction, which is good for us. And that's kind of people who are new to it and contact us and want to know about it. We send them, you know, the video. Like, hey, watch this video. If this looks like something you'd be interested in, like, give us a call. Uh, the best way to describe it is... It's like a week-long it's a week-long party with a bunch of good people driving some of the best dirt roads in the world like that's the best way to describe it it's you know it's a week the Baja Peninsula yeah down the Baja Peninsula it's like we'll show you you know we'll sh- we'll take you down and show you what the truck can do you know especially if you live in a place like here where you know there's nowhere to use it are most of these trucks stock uh, or a lot of these I'd guys kind of serious like, and I'd say it's probably like 75, 25. It's like 25% of them are fairly stuck, and the other 75%, like, the guys, you know, they get into it pretty hard. Mm-hmm. Especially if, you know, I'd say most of our guys are, at this point, a lot of our guys are repeat customers. And these are guys that are, you know, they're into it pretty hard. So, like, the truck, some guys have dedicated trucks that are, the trucks are just used for going on trips, like, with us. Mm. Um, which is kind of like, that's what my truck's become at this point. Like, my truck is basically only used for long distance trips like in the western u.s and mexico like i don't daily drive my truck anymore and a lot of guys are that way mm. um you know it used to yeah. did not too long ago i used to catch you at h-e-b you'd be just like getting groceries in it yeah i, I daily drove it for years um but yeah, you know, the opportunity came to not drive it now it's got like two hundred thousand miles on it so i try not to take it very many places and it's very unsuspecting like and that's what i tell people like there's and I hate it. In New Braunfels, there's all these trucks. They're yeah. like $100,000 custom trucks, huge wheels, crazy lift kits, not really much clearance at all. No. no you know, they're yeah. terrible on-road. They're terrible off-road. They're just these, like, you know, they're just... It's a showpiece. Sh- these showpieces. That's showpiece, uh, everything around like, here. Yeah. And then, you know, you got a Hudson that you, it's like... Yours, it's like, it just looks like a camping rig. You wouldn't really think too twice about it. And then he'll show you a video of him hitting the jump at like 70 miles an hour on it. And it's like, the thing's fully built. Yeah, and that was kind of the goal. Because like, that, that truck's not my first truck that I've built for going down to Mexico. The, and the first one was a bit more extreme. Like, it didn't, it, you know, it was, a, it was a tension grabbing just because it was a bit more of an extreme build. So when I built the second one, it was, I didn't want all the attention I didn't want it to be obvious. Because of being in Mexico and, like, no, you don't want to flaunt? No, it had or? nothing to do with being in Mexico. It was just, like, I I wasn't just, I wasn't after the attention every time I pulled into a gas station to put gas in it. Like You just wanted oh, it to work. I just wanted a truck to drive that I could, I wanted to be able to daily drive it, 
and it didn't look like I was daily driving a ridiculous vehicle. Yeah. Right. I want it to be, I wanted to, you know, if I want to do, you know, a thousand miles down the highway in one day, which that truck can do, has done, and will do still. Like I want to be able to get in it, put one hand on the steering wheel, drive down the road, that kind of thing. And that truck, the first truck, you couldn't do that. It was two hands on the wheel, like focused the whole time, like mm-hmm. turn the radio down so you can focus harder. Cause it was just such a handful to drive. And I didn't want to do that again. Cause it, it wasn't fun. And it was a single purpose vehicle. Like it did one thing and one thing well, and it was really bad at everything else. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. And I didn't want to do that again. I, you know, and at, at the time I had owned that and then I owned another truck that I daily drove and, and we're saying truck. So t- tell us what it is that you're the, driving right now. The truck now is, is a Toyota four runner. It's, it's very unassuming looking. It's, mm-hmm. You know, it's a white Toyota 4 Yeah, Tacoma before that was all built I had a out. Tacoma right? before, yeah, and you know it's a white Toyota 4 which is 60 of them in town. You know what yeah. I mean? So it's like it's very unassuming, but that was kind of the goal. It was, I didn't want the extra attention every time you pulled into a gas station. Right. And I just wanted something that was, I wanted something that kind of flew under the radar. It was very this unassuming. This is not your average forerunner. Yeah. And you know this dude that, puts like hundred dollar bolts in his suspension. He goes and gets aircraft bolts. Yeah, and, and that came from. That came. That was like a race car thing. But honestly, that came from bending bolts. Like, yeah. I, if you're you know, jumping it at 70 miles an hour, that's what I love about. It's funny because is is the Ford Raptor the new? Is it like the Ford Mustang? You know, there's all the videos of the guys in the Mustangs and they're always getting sideways, crashing. It's like, oh, I got a sports car. I'm gonna like, yeah. right? And then these dudes get the Raptors and they're like, it's so capable. I'm just gonna jump it. And then there's they, a lot of that. I think it's kind of they 50, just tear 50. it up. Yeah, there's guys that absolutely... It's not really built for sending it. No, it's not. And it's the best way to describe a Raptor, and this this comes from a friend of mine who... who, who uh, a guy who taught me a lot about Baja, but he you know had the perfect words to describe the Ford Raptor. He's like, it's a great dirt road truck. It's mm. not a great off-road truck. And he's right. Like, You can drive the thing off a lot and drive it down some <clears throat> dirt roads really fast, and it is really comfortable. Yeah. And you can in a Volkswagen GTI the same, by the way. <laughs> Yeah, you're like they're a lot of fun right. on dirt roads yeah, too. So right. it's like, yeah. okay, yeah. you know, I I don't know. I just think that's fun. There's those videos I see of those of the Raptors. There was one, and it was this big dirt jump, and these guys just send it, and they hit, and then all the airbags deploy. Oh, there's and the a front few of them. end just goes up into the engine. Yeah, and yeah. There's a few of them, and I've I've seen it happen a few times at, at some events. Like is it not just because they're wild dudes, or is it? Are like people convinced like I buy this thing from the from the dealership, and it's the baddest like off road capable vehicle? I don't I don't know. I think there may be like a a false sense of security when you get in one to drive it. Like that's if you, that's a good way to put it. That's what I'm asking. Fu- if you don't fully understand like what a vehicle in general is capable of, if mm-hmm. you're not like mechanically inclined person and just know how a vehicle works then yeah i think there's like a false sense of security of what the vehicle can handle right um and you see that a lot especially with that truck because you know you can drive it off the lot um exactly how it is i've seen the trucks that the raptors that you have at the shop and stuff and they're obviously like on a different level yeah and that's kind of like it's kind of what we're known for Mm -hmm. um like we're really we're known for Raptors more than anything else. And probably and it, second to that, we're known for Toyotas just because of my Toyota background. Mm-hmm. Um, but we get we get guys that send us trucks from, from all over the country, really. Like, I get trucks from Idaho, Colorado, you know, trucks from Missouri. You know, I've got I got a, uh, a gentleman right now who's contacted me who's from, uh, like, Chicago. 
wants to send me a truck to really? put together for him. Yeah. So it's it's kind of it's becoming a specialist in it. And then you, know, you guys are take you're you, I mean it's not like you're just working on the sin in the back. Like you're taking these things to Mexico what three four times a year? Yeah, right now it's putting it's, lots it's, of miles on them. It's two to three times a year right now. We put lots of miles on. We do put lots of miles on them, and and that's why like every time like you drive by the shop, that's why there's so many Raptors parked outside because we put so many miles on them, and it takes so much work to like keep them in tip top shape. Are you rebuilding the shocks and like rebuilding everything, or or what what are you having it's, to uh, do to them? We rebuild stuff like on a case by case basis. It depends on what the guy uses the truck for and how often he uses it. Like, you know, we've got a one of our our good buddies who lives up in Idaho who's got a built truck. And, um, you know, he probably uses that truck like two times a year. And the rest of the year it sits in his garage and doesn't go anywhere. So it doesn't require a whole lot of prep. It's like a once a year type of deal or, you know, once every 18 months kind of prep thing. Um, just because it doesn't see very much use. My truck, on the other hand, is probably in the shop like for a reprep twice a year. Yeah. Like, it needs to go in right now. And same thing with Trey, like his truck, the other, you know, company truck. That truck sees, it does every single trip. It sees a whole lot of miles. Yeah. Um, so it's in the shop quite a bit. Like, not because anything's wrong with it, but it's all, basically it's all present preventative maintenance. Like, everything we do on the, on the trucks is preventative maintenance. It's, you know, I want to fix stuff before it's broken kind of thing. Yes. Or before it breaks. Yeah. Once you like, have the knowledge, that's where I'm at too. Like, I'm, yeah, I'm took, always like trying to just be proactive with everything. Yeah, like, it, it took years to get to that point. Right. You know, it took years of like, figuring out like what's the lifespan of this you know what's the lifespan of this part what's the lifespan of this part but once you kind of figure it out like you can kind of stay on top of it and mm -hmm. you know prevent catastrophic things right yeah so you're not spending tons of time trying to fix something way out in the middle of nowhere yeah, the, the last thing you want to do is fix a bunch of stuff out in the middle of the desert right you want to so. work hard have everything dialed and then go have fun and yeah get it's, back. it's no fun to have to fix stuff in the middle of the desert right yeah no. So we're trying to prevent that. So that's why you see, like, that's why you see trucks at our shop regularly. Like, and, you know, we'll get back from a trip, and a guy will, you know, guys will call us. As soon as we get back from trips, the guys that went on the trips with us, they'll call us and be like, okay, like, hey, I want to schedule a time to come drop the truck off. You guys go through it, figure out what needs to be done before we go on the next one kind of thing. That's the best way to do it. Tell me about your racing experience. Like my personal racing experience? Yeah, because you're, I mean, you're known for working on this stuff, but you there's like tons of photos you've been in a lot of races yourself like you're in the trucks a lot yeah you've driven and navigated yeah more so in the past couple of years but at the same time like and it, like substantial right like i want you to talk about your accomplishments too yeah and it it uh i really really enjoy that side of it and that was kind of when i first started it that was kind of one of the things that i always kind of had my sights set on the was, glory side you're the yeah. guy in the truck you're on the podium i wanted to be in the like the right seat, the navigator seat. Because mm -hmm. generally the right seat guy is kind of helping kind of hold everything <laughs> together. Most of the time that guy is really mechanically inclined, knows how to fix stuff in the middle of nowhere, and can navigate you down the road. So yeah, that was kind of always something I had my, my sights set on. You know, it took years to kind of get those opportunities. And uh, I just kind of took every opportunity as it came no matter what it was, it was like, yes, I, I will get in the car and ride with you. Or, you know, if a guy needed somebody to ride with him and for a pre-run and make his make, you know, the race notes for him, it's like, sure, no problem. I'll come do it kind of thing. And so just kind of step by step, you know, car by car, 
you know, whatever opportunity I could get, it was like, as long as I was comfortable with it or, you know, comfortable with the car and comfortable with whoever was driving the car, um, you know, I was, I, I would do it. But more recently, in the past few years, um, I started doing more pre-running and helping guys make notes. And then through that, uh, opened up opportunities for being in the race car during the race. Because like, hey, well, you know, you're good during the pre-run, you make good notes, you're on top of it, like, and you can work on something if it breaks, like, come get in the car with me. So the first, I guess, major opportunity for a race in Mexico was two years ago, 2020 Baja 1000, I guess it would have been. Mm-hmm. And... um yeah, I got asked by the guys at Reesmillen Racing to do, it was about a 850, 900-mile race for that year's Baja 1000. And they asked me to ride with the another friend of mine who was the driver for the second half of the race. And uh, Did they switch drivers too? Some people do, some people don't. Okay. It just depends on the team, depends on the race course, depends on how long the course is, what the, cor- the conditions of the course. Some guys know the course so well that they'll just drive the whole thing, mm-hmm. and they're, you know, mentally and mentally and physically capable of doing it and some physically guys, that's something i want to talk about because yeah. people don't think they think you're jumping in the car you're just driving it's and it's it's not yeah. like my mom i was talking to my mom um i watched the formula one documentaries on on netflix which are excellent by the way i think they're interesting for if yeah. you're not into because i've never been in the formula one or motor gp or anything but yeah. it was super interesting and it's like a lot of insight in the racing but i was telling my mom Oh yeah, the Formula One guys like they're super fit. They like they're exercising every day. They're doing all kinds of stuff. And her reaction was like, "They need to exercise." I was like, "Oh yeah, like I mean, they're pulling G forces and stuff." Demanding. But it's like the, the, all those guys are super fit, and yep. and the desert stuff just. I mean, I know these trucks are super built, but it beats the hell out of you. It does, and people don't realize like, especially like long distance races. You know, like the Baja Five Hundred, Baja One Thousand. Like you're in the car for a long time. You know, Baja, you know, Baja 500, it's, you know, eight to 10 hours. You know, if you do the entire 500 miles, Baja yep. 1000 is generally, you know, 22 to 28 hours, depending on the race course that year. So, like, it's a long time. And it's rough, too. Yeah. And, and although the, these trucks are built to handle it, I mean, and yeah, you should limit- definitely, like, watch the slow motion videos of these trucks going over terrain because it's just crazy what they're what they're just eating up what they're capable of yeah what they're capable of but you still even after all that and i've never ridden in one but i've just just from racing bikes out there in the desert like it's tough how much that beat me up and even the even the even the best trucks you know the most well-tuned smoothest riding trucks like it's still physically demanding to be i mean your back's gotta be hurting for eight to ten hours at a time yeah you're just getting beat up yeah you're feeling the shock of everything yeah yeah. A lot of, and, and some trucks are better than others. You know, got guys that have really, really well-tuned suspension. Like, you can – a truck with really good suspension, you can race for a longer period of time because it doesn't beat you up as much. Mm-hmm. So, like – and a lot of people don't realize that if you spend a lot of time and effort, like, tuning a vehicle, doing a bunch of shock work, like, it's more comfortable to drive the truck. You're going to be vehicle. faster. You're going to be faster. And yeah. you can drive it for longer because mm-hmm. you, it doesn't wear you out as quickly. Do they have suspension on the seats or anything like that? No, so that, well, I say no. Suspension seats haven't been a big thing probably in the past 10 years. Kind of everybody's gone away from them. Maybe more recent than that. 
Um, but the suspension technology uh, on the vehicle itself has come so far. You don't need it. it so you much. don't need it. And they, the they do time, with boats, right? Like those big, those race boats. I mean, if you've ever been in the boat and hit a big wave, it just like, boom. oh yeah, I those, mean, it shocks you. And I know, I think they yeah. have like, uh, like suspension seats and different yep. stuff. Yeah. So I didn't know if Baja trucks had that. Uh, not like active suspension seats. So years ago, the seats used to be made like where there was suspension built into the bottom of the seat. Basically, there were springs in the bottom of the mm-hmm. seat that kind of let you. And like most big rigs have have suspension in the yeah, seats the, too. Like they, you they got have air ride, ride. They have air ride mm-hmm. seats. Um, but the the seats that have the suspension like built into the seat itself are generally considered pretty unsafe for racing nowadays because they allow so much movement. Once you crash, it's a well, bit, they, it's a problem. Basically, they allow a lot of movement, and they allow so much movement that basically your seat belts aren't in the right place anymore. Mm. So during a wreck, you can move so much in the seat that now the seat seat belts are because they're not. tied to the chassis exactly, and not to the seat itself exactly. Okay. That yeah. makes sense. So nowadays, pretty much everything's a like a hard shell style, like rigid seat, mm-hmm. which is much safer. But beats you up. It does. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, to be honest with you, like if you have a well-tuned suspension, the hard, the hard seats, the hard fixed seats uh, at the end of the day are more comfortable than the suspension seats. Right. Because you, you don't right. move around. If it's done right, yeah. What's it like? I mean, I'm sure you've been in the car when it's like flipped or rolled or. Yeah. What's that like? It can be scary. I want to experience that, to be honest. Yeah. Every time yeah. I see a video of a car flipping, I was like, I wonder what that feels like. It can be scary. <laughs> I, I've been fairly lucky that I haven't had any like big wrecks. Yeah. Um, but I've been in a, I've been in some. Um, you know, if you're in the right seat, it's one of those deals where like, you have no control over it. And most of the time, you can see it happening before the driver realizes it's happening. It's like, oh, no, we're going over. Like before he realizes what's gonna happen. Really? For the most time, like you're just along for the ride. Like at that point, you're gonna trust the seat and the seat belts and the safety equipment that you're wearing to like ride it out. So most of the time, like my rule of thumb is like if I know we're going over, like I'll grab my seat belts on my chest and um, just like hope for the best at that point. It seems super violent. It like can if be. you watch the videos it of people be. where they Absolutely. have the, yeah, it's like yeah. they're just and that's why like that's why. Proper seats, seat belts, and like head and neck restraints are so important because it can get super violent. That whiplash yeah. is just crazy. Oh, yeah. What's the, what's one of the like the biggest shit your pants moment you've had in a race car? I had one myself at the Nora One Thousand last year, and I was actually in the driver's seat for this race. A, a buddy of mine, uh, he lives up in Montana. He he bought a a Ford Ranger for us to race at a, the North Mexican Nor 1000, which is like a vintage style race. It's a it's a five day race all the way down the peninsula. Is it that red like 90s? It is the red 1990 Ranger. Yeah. He, so he he called me right after he bought it. He's like, Hey, I want you to race this thing with me. I'm like, Okay, you know, I'll ride with you and help navigate and everything. I I can do that. And he's like, No, I don't want to drive the whole thing. Like I I want like you drive it and I'll ride with you mm-hmm. kind of thing. I'm like, Okay, are you sure? And he's like, Yeah, yeah. Like, okay. So I we had one brand new truck. Uh, still trying to kind of figure it out, but we raced it in Nor 1000 this past year in April, and uh, we actually won our class, um, which was really cool. And I split the driving with him. I, I think I did I did about 300 miles total of race miles. And I think he did 600, um, and I obviously him and I were the only ones in the car the whole time. But um, last day, last day, and the race cars, the pedals in the car were set up kind of weird. 
the and generally in a lot of off-road race cars you two foot drive like left foot brake right foot oh, really? gas yeah that'd be weird to get used to it is but once you get used to it it's <clears throat> so much better to drive the car and you can mm. be so much smoother and quicker so anyway we're racing and we're racing uh, out of a place called mike sky ranch back towards the finish line back towards town and uh we come around a corner a really famous corner famous for rex famous for rex <laughs> and uh i'm driving and we come around the corner and like i'm at a really i'm at a comfortable pace i know the road well that we're on because we've driven it so many times and we're clipping right along and yeah everything's going pretty smooth and like I go to left foot brake and the pedals were so close together that my foot bouncing along the road, my foot had kind of slid, my left foot had slid to the right. And so like the ball of my foot was on the gas, it was on the very edge of the gas pedal and the rest of my foot was on the brake pedal. So I went to hit the brakes, it hit the gas and the brakes. So we're coming around this corner, which mm. is famous for Rex. And I go to hit the brakes and my, basically the edge of my foot catches the gas pedal too. Like, the truck's not slowing down. It's speeding up. And I'm like, oh, man. But, you know, I, I, I figured out what was going on. I'm like, okay, well, like, this, isn't, this isn't. So, I, like, moved my foot over. But it was, like, last second. I had a split second to figure it out. And I figured it out. But it was like, man, this is. Because it, it was a big ravine, basically. We are coming around the corner. On the outside of the corner is a big ravine. And trucks are already pretty squirrely. This truck was especially squirrely when we raced it. Um. And yeah, we were coming around that corner, like, I'm not slowing down, I'm speeding up, and I can, like, I can hear the, the engine speeding up, and I'm like, what's going on? And at the last second, it's like, a little bit of left foot brake, counter steer, and like, okay, there's the edge of the road. And it would have been, it, it would have been a chore to get that truck out of that ravine, too. So you made it, you didn't, you didn't wreck? No, no, no. But you and thought it, you were going to? I, for a, a quarter second, I was like, oh, this is not going to be good. And it's not my truck. Yeah. You know? Right. I was just you know, kept it together and kind of like figured it out and pulled it around the corner. I'm like, okay, let's not do that again. And from then on, I was like very conscious about where my feet were on the pedals. And you won that one, right? We did. We won that one by a pretty good margin too. What's some other stuff that, that you've won? Uh, we won that race. We, we won our class in the NOR 1000. 2020, we won our class at the Baja 1000 in class seven. Um... 2016, we won overall in a UTV. We overall UTV between the Baja Tur 1000. Yeah, at the Baja 1000 between turbo and non-turbo. Um, yeah, I've won some other smaller races. And then like, like here. podiums and I've won some other smaller races here in Texas and some podium spots. But those, those, I mean, those that's three, some big stuff. Those three are the biggest ones. Yeah, that's cool for sure. Yeah, that's super rad. Yeah. Are you still riding mountain bikes at all? Not at all anymore. Which is I was looking at your Instagram today, and I went back, and I was like, oh, I didn't even know he was yeah. that into it, like yeah, downhill yeah. stuff. Oh, yeah. we. I used to ride, man, I used to ride four or five days a week. And uh, at the time, everybody I worked with rode, all my friends rode, and there, were, there was, you know, five riding spots within, you know, a 30, 45-minute drive from the house. Oh, because you were in California. Yeah, so we would ride, we would ride five days a week. Like, we'd, drive, we'd ride four days during the week where you know, three days during the work week, and then we'd ride all day Saturday and all day Sunday. Um, so I rode a bunch, and I, I miss it, but I sold all the bikes when I moved because there's not a whole lot of riding in your Broncos. No, and you re you got to drive. and you got to drive somewhere. a long way. And the graveyard, graveyard trails are looking really good right now. I don't know if you follow them on Instagram. Yeah, I have seen the pictures. I've seen the pictures below. from you. Yeah. They got an excavator down there recently, yeah. and oh, it's yeah, looking and that good. that was one of those things, like, 
But that's different. I mean, that's, that's different. And those you know, probably are all built for probably 20 inch bikes too. They I was, are. I was never yeah. a big 20 inch bike guy. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I miss riding a lot and I made a whole lot of good friends riding. Um, but I guess I moved and kind of priorities changed and yeah, and you're it, super busy. And yeah, priorities change. Business. You got a girl. You got dogs. Yeah, you got exactly. Yeah, three, it, four things going on at once. Yeah, and when I moved back here, like I'm really close to all my immediate family, so we do a whole lot of family stuff a lot. So that kind of, you know, there's just priorities change. Yeah. You know, as you grow older, and back then, like I was spending way too much money on mountain bikes and all, yeah. all of my time on mountain bikes because yeah. I, all I, all I did was work and ride bikes. Yeah. And that was kind of it. So. So how can people uh, look you up online? Like, what's traceable? Instagram, what's traceable? Facebook. Yeah, it's, my Facebook is just a repost of all my but Instagram like photos. But Comal out truck and you, yeah, you can you can follow all the like, things you're into. How can people find it? You can follow like with the Raptor stuff. You can follow Texas Raptor runs. Kind of figure out what we're doing. You can always that's like, on Instagram and Facebook. That's on Instagram and, and Facebook, which is fairly active. You can always reach out to me personally. Um, I don't know. I, I guess I'm not really good at advertising myself. I just kind of like your your Instagram's a good follow, Hudson Hall. Yeah, it's okay. It's okay. He followed he followed me, and I was like, oh shit, this guy's cool. And then like I didn't even know you lived here. Like I was just like, oh, this guy races desert. That's dope. I'm gonna follow him back. Yeah. And then you hit me up, and it's like, are you in New Braunfels? I was like, yeah, we're in the same town. Holy shit. Yeah. Let's hang out. Yeah, it was a while ago now. That was a while ago. It was like two or three years ago now. Yeah. 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 It's, yeah. Cool. So Hudson Hall on Instagram. Yep. Just uh, and then what's the Raptor stuff called again? Uh, the Raptor page is Texas Raptor Runs. Texas Raptor like, Runs. Yeah. If you're interested in that kind of stuff or like Baja trips or any of that stuff, that's that's who to follow. And, and then uh, and Comal Truck. If you need yeah. your bedliner done. Or, or, you know, most people just reach out to me personally for, for truck stuff. Like Cool. Hudson yeah. Hall. Yeah. That's it. Good to talk to you, man. I got to pee, dude. I got to go. Yeah, I need another beer. <laughs> All right. Talk to you soon. Yeah, later, bud.